folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we are celebrating the end of season one with nearly two million downloads. Thank you to all of you that are listening and sharing with your friends. We really appreciate it. As we're drawing near to the end of season one, we're celebrating with a best of series over the next few weeks. I will let Ian do the introductions for our guests this week. This past week, we had Bob and Maria Goff. Bob is a seven and Maria is a nine. We talked about relationships. That was great. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Typology Podcast. And of course, you can follow Ian at Ian Cron on Twitter. And his Instagram account is at Ian Morgan Cron. You can keep up with what's going on there. Also, we'd like to remind you about our Patreon campaign. If you aren't familiar with it, it's a really great and easy way for you to support us, especially heading into season two, which is going to be fantastic. For as little as a dollar a month, you can partner with us and help us cover the costs for everything it takes to pull the show off. There's a lot that goes on to make it happen. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash typology. That's www.patreon.com forward slash T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y and select the level at which you want to support the show. As a thank you for your support, you're going to get a bunch of great, great bonus content as well. So even a dollar a month, it's a huge help, folks. So thank you very much. Well, you are here for the interview. So without any further ado, here's the host of our show, Ian Cron. Earlier this week, an acquaintance asked me who was slated to be my first guest on Typology. When I told him it was best-selling author and speaker Rob Bell, he tilted his head to the side and stared at me like a golden retriever does when it's perplexed. And then he said, isn't Rob Bell kind of a controversial figure for your first show? What if having him on turns away a segment of your audience? But not three hours after that conversation, I received a message on Facebook saying, I heard Rob Bell's gonna be on your new podcast. I can't wait. That guy rescued my faith. So there's no question, Rob's kind of a controversial figure in the Christian world. So why have him on this show? To some, he's a faith saver. To others, he's a spiritual provocateur. But to me, Rob's simply a friend who knows and loves the Enneagram. And as you'll hear, it rocked his world in a deeply personal way when he first encountered it. Put aside for a moment that Rob's face graced the cover of Time magazine after the release of his book Love Wins in 2007 and appeared on the list of the most influential people in the world in 2011. And remember this, he's a human being who, like you and me, is trying to figure out how to be in the world. And he always speaks so eloquently and honestly about his journey toward understanding himself and God. And that, my friends, is why he's on our first show. I think you're going to come away from this conversation with an appreciation for him as a human being and a new and deeper appreciation for the Enneagram as well. So come on, folks, let's get to it. Rob Bell, welcome to the show. Welcome to Typology. <laughs> it's great to be with you. Okay, you already started with a laugh. Why, why are you laughing right from the get-go? Typology. That's good. <laughs> I'm a, titling, names. I mean, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Oh, I like it. All right. I'm already enjoying it. I'm already enjoying it. You're already all the way in with us. That's good, man. So tell us how you first heard or learned about the Enneagram. Uh, as with most profound insights, probably from my wife, <laughs> um, and, <laughs> let's just start there, and probably through, there was a Dominican center at the end of a street that we lived on in 2003, and I had been going over there for spiritual direction, and Kristen, my wife, had been taking classes there, and somewhere in there, I remember there's a mystical medieval way of thinking about what it means to be a person or something like that right. grabbed me like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I had always been, you know, like the are, what are, what's your Myers-Briggs? I, to this day, and people are like, I think you're an ENF. I, 
I've never known any of that. It never grabbed me. I never found it interesting. I was always the guy at the party going, I have no idea what this is about anything. But that, the Enneagram was like, now that's, whether it's the dynamic nature of it, whether it's the idea of health on health and movement, there's something about it for me that rang true to how the universe is, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like this static template that you try and jam on top of a living, breathing human being. But the Enneagram was the first time where I was like, oh, I'm a number. I can do that. (laughs) 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 And and probably because it didn't come out of some American need to label and categorize, but it was about deep, you know, deeper energies, Mm -hmm. which somehow it, uh, it was the first time. Yeah. I got quite excited. Yeah. And, and it was actually revelatory and healing for me individually and, in our marriage, it just opened up a thousand new things to talk about. We were already having a great discussion, but it just, yeah. All right. Well, let's yeah. cir- let me circle back on that. So what was healing about it? Like what was going on in your life and, and what, what was healing about it for you? The moment I realized that as a seven with a seven wing, right. which, <laughs> which yes. when I told Richard Rohr that I thought he was going to pass out yep. in the restaurant, yep. he laughed so hard. He also said to me one time, you're the first healthy seven I've ever met. Is that which right? Which I thought was really funny. Yeah. And and uh, he and I did an event together and a guy who travels with him, a beloved friend of mine, said... Is this Jim? Yes. Yeah. He said, you have to understand that he's never seen this. Really? Because I, I was doing my thing, you know, all over the place. And he was like, he was very appreciative, but also like, oh... You could love a room full of a thousand people. You know what I mean? Right. And like, let's go somewhere. Let's do this. Let's blow the roof off the joint. But maybe not. But and then sit down and be like, so what's going on? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. So, so but I'll tell you what it was. It was when I realized that as a seven, denial is my drug of choice. Mm. It opened up years of pain. Mm. And temperament mixed with family system, mixed with work culture slash, I was a pastor at the time at a local church and I had started a church which was a macrocosm of my unhealth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, You're I, around, I've been why there. Does this, why does this system do these ridiculous things? Oh, because I do these things. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is reflecting back to me my own insatiable need to stay a half step ahead of the consequence. Mm -hmm. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Seriously, everything's fine. No, I'm serious. You could tell me that the barn is on fire and I'd be like, s'mores. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. And and I, I distinctly remember one day saying to Kristen, I gotta be honest, I don't feel like conquering the world today. And Kristen saying, Welcome to how the rest of us feel most of the time. (laughs) I mean, I literally was so, I was in so deep that basic having a bad day, I like literally was like a child learning about these things Mm. because I had developed such world-class ability to just keep moving. Mm -hmm. You, You give me the facts and the mix of good and bad and favorable and unfavorable, and I will turn it on the spot into something inspiring and motivating and look at the opportunities yep. instead of, you know what we should do right now? We should grieve. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we my. Yeah. So, you know, like the, you know, the standard way of describing the need of a seven, right, is there are folks who have a an underlying motivation, you know, to have uh, pleasant feelings and to avoid psychological and emotional pain, you know, stuff like, yeah. you know, stuck or routine or, you know, anything that uh, grief or whatever it may be. Right. So I have a son who is a seven with a seven wing. And uh, I think I'm just going to have him get on the phone with you and you can just save him <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> and right? therapy. And, and actually to go back to your question, when I began to understand grief as a release valve mm-hmm. that 
gets all of this stored up disappointment, it gives it the expression that it deserves and demands. Mm. And then when I began to see, I mean, Lamentations, Psalms, how much of the ancient wisdom tradition, grief is actually central to joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when I began to understand that, uh, the South American Indians talk about you make room for the immensities of the universe within yourself. Mm-hmm that grief was not an obstacle to joy or an inhibitor of joy, but, but grief is how you actually do have joy. Mm-hmm. Y- you give your pain, loss, betrayal, the ache, you give it what it's asking for, silence, a long walk, tears, <laughs> right. um, venting to a friend, three hours of Netflix. You give it <laughs> what it needs. And then it's almost like a, it's like it flushes that that was just absolutely life changing for me. Mm, yeah, right. I tell my son, you know, you know, he's 19. Right. You know, I'm not I'm bragging a little bit, I guess, here, but he goes to Brown and Brown has no distribution requirements. So you can take any class you want. So it's like he is in a salad bar of curiosity. Like he's like the most curious kid you have ever met. Like he just wants to, he just wants to sample everything in life. So he took a course last semester in, the name of the course was Atlantic Pirates. (laughs) (laughs) Now only another seven would really fully appreciate how, what the gravitational pull must have been like for him when he saw the name of the course, right? Oh, and now you're at a party and you can go off on Atlantic Pirates. Oh, how much fun is that? Did you know? Yes. Let me tell you a story. Scholars believe, oh, that's the sevens, a catnip. Catnip. (laughs) So I've been listening to your your podcast, the Robcast, which I love, by the way. And thank you. In fact, the last, I got to tell you, the last episode I listened to, which was one on alternative wisdom, which is great because we're talking about really a, <laughs> an extra canonical, right, uh, source of alternative wisdom, right, the Enneagram. Uh, but you said something in it that really moved me, and that is about your favorite Bible verse. I think that was like the, I think I've done six Yep. of the yep. alternative wisdom ones. So I'm trying, you're thinking of the most recent one about you are always with me, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh my word! Is that the greatest? Uh, oh, I could I could go on forever about that line. Oh, well, it was <laughs> yeah the line right from the the prodigal. You are always with me. Yeah, all that I have is yours. By the way, every sermon anybody's ever heard about the prodigal son. Why didn't the preacher just repeat that line for twenty five minutes? Exactly. Well, you know what? Like, but just. <laughs> you bracketed it like no one like you know what I'm saying like like you just sort of like pulled it out and you know um, I'm a four right so I can you know I can cry over anything grief is I am no stranger to grief I can find grief while watching you oh know, interesting you know. and why is that why is a four okay with grief well tell me more about that sure well fours are people who are exquisitely attuned to their own feelings and they are particularly good at navigating the darker emotions, right? We're also the most empathic number on the Enneagram, in part because, to borrow a biblical phrase, we're, we're pretty well acquainted with grief. You know, the feeling of, of not belonging, of not fitting in, of, of oh wow, always kind of, you know, looking at life through the glass, you know? And so that feeling of melancholy, that feeling of, uh, yeah, just occupying that space is very natural, for fours, um, which makes us kind of interesting friends with sevens, right? Because, for example, with my son, you know, he's not literally like a puppy, but like, well, you know, sevens are a little bit like puppies, you know, in a way, you know, they're always going off in a million directions. So I was, I'm always like, stay. Whenever a bad feeling comes up for him, I have to go, stay, heal, stay with it, stay with the feeling, don't, don't, don't run off to the Atlantic pirates, you know, stay. And that's sort of, I think, can be one of the gifts that fours bring to sevens, right? Which is, Hey, you know, this is okay. You're let this yeah, let this feeling that feels afflictive to you, just let it have its way with you until it's done. You know, it it will move on. Yes, it will pass. Very interesting. 
But back to that 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 Bible verse, like I did last night before I went to bed. I was kind of treating it like one of my, you know, I got a bunch of little mantras that I that I use, you know, in my own life. But gosh, man, it really was deeply and profoundly moving. Yes. Yeah. And that's a theme that that runs through so much of your work because it, it it seems to me that you always have an eye on the person who doesn't feel like they belong, the person Absolutely. who feels outside yeah. the circle of belongingness yeah. and is in search of a new home or of a home where <laughs> they can fit in their kookiness and their craziness because a previous one was no longer a good fit. Yeah, yeah, that is. In my psyche or soul, I am I'm in the back row of English class in high school, and I'm not one of the cool kids. Mm. I'm in the back row. I'm in the back row with the weirdos. <laughs> and were you in the back row with the weirdos? I was the straight kid in the back row who just found it more interesting. I wasn't cool enough anyway, but I just found the back row more interesting. Mm. I just thought that that was where the really interesting humor was, mm. not the football quarterback making fun of some little kid. That wasn't funny. What was funny is the kid in the back row doing an impersonation of the quarterback <laughs> trying to be funny. That's funny. You know what I mean? Oh, listen, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. The I, edges were always more interesting. Yeah. Always. So back to that life verse, because I'm a little taken with it. I was taken with it this morning Good. when I when I Good. got up. So or that I favorite verse. Did I just say life it. verse? I that light, did I just say life verse? I didn't say that, did I? I guess I did. That's a, <laughs> that's harkening back to some other era in my life when I was probably reading, you know, Navigator's materials. Anyhow, um, so interesting. Some Enneagram teachers... And I, it's always speculation. I'm always a little hesitant to say it, but they, you know, they speculate about what it is in a person's history that led them to become a certain personality type. Yeah, and, and, right, you right. Know, I'm I've always a little of, bit like, yeah. eh, I don't know. Everyone's different. But, you know, some say that sevens uh, experienced early on uh, a lack of support, you know, during times of crisis when difficult emotions um, arose in them. And so they became fixated or preoccupied with interesting ideas and new fun experiences and spontaneity and living in the future to get out of the present moment where the difficult stuff is, right? Mm -hmm. In that verse, I love it for a seven in particular, because what you're saying is, I am always with you. Everything I have is is yours. I'm always with you. You've always been with me. You've always been a guest at the party. What a wonderful, you know, thing for a seven to be carrying around in their hearts. Yeah, because a seven is the first person to believe that it's the action somewhere else. Mm -hmm. If we could just get over there, if I could just make this then, or if we could just accomplish. Yeah. And, and that verse and that idea, yeah, has done a particular work on me mm. of healing. Hmm. Um, I mean, just how far for me from all these things that I need to be out there doing to I, I'm so happy with my family at our house, mm -hmm. <laughs> hanging around with my kids. Um, yeah, because I for years I was on to the next thing. Yeah. It's like a JC song, on to the next one. Right. Um it was all living in anticipation of the next great high. And oh, we're yeah. basically hanging out, fulfilling ordinary household activities, waiting for the next great moment. And then you threw me into a religious church world where I could get a microphone and go on stage right? and on a bigger stage with more people. And that was like gas to a fire. Yeah. Like, let's do this. Yeah. And at some level I was blessed with in that world, what's perceived as tremendous success early because I had like an existential crash very early on, which is where does this go? Cause we're doing more people and more travel and more accolades and none of this is going away. It's just worse than ever. <laughs> right. I'm missing, I'm actually missing out on life with all of this, what is seen from the outside as success is actually, I'm missing it. Yes. I'm missing it. I'm yes. missing it. And yes. the Enneagram so. came around that time. 
Oh, oh, God. I mean, it was like fireworks of insight. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about, you know, my son is this way, but, you know, the communication style of sevens is storytelling. Oh, oh. Did, did you know that? Like that is their is, communication style. Is it really? Oh, my gosh. Oh, interesting. Nobody tells a story like sevens. And, and of course, that is, you know, one of your great gifts is being able to weave story into just about everything that you do. I mean, that is the, you know, that, that's leveraging your gifts. That's your superpower, man. Ah, uh, I haven't heard that before. It reminds me of a story. <laughs> <laughs> well, take it away, man. You got a mic. I mean, you know, start telling the story. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> no, I didn't actually have a specific story in mind other than that joke. <laughs> that's funny. Actually, let me, let me say this. Based on what you just said, that's very helpful for me because I wanted to rediscover all I ever cared about was reclaiming the sermon as the ancient art form that it is. Uh -huh. And that was like a bullet. In and so I was like, oh, well, I guess you go to seminary. That's what I understood. But I remember sitting in a systematic theology class and it was a British professor who had written a massive compendium of theological books. And partway through, this was like a Thursday afternoon in week eight or something, in the middle of a lecture, he paused and said, Roman numeral four. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> just being like, wait, what the, f there were three others? Like all of a sudden, like a lightning bolt realizing that there apparently was some Roman numeral classical outline that he was working through. And that whatever, some Thursday in April, four or eight weeks in, whatever, <laughs> he was at Roman numeral four, that there was a structure behind this sort of monotone. And it just realizing this is not, I am in a foreign planet here. Right. And later realizing, especially as, as I began to discover the rabbis, but, oh, a systematic linear system that is sort of welded to a particular version of logic. Mm -hmm. So that, that's very helpful for me that a seven is just, that's not how we, you know, <laughs> that's just not how, that's our, not our fundamental language. No, no. That's very helpful. No, you would default to story <laughs> for sure. You would default to story as, as, as having the ability to carry the freight of what Absolutely. it is that you're thinking. And, and, and a story to me is not a way around the work a story is because you did the work. Mm -hmm. A story isn't cheapening the content. A story is actually getting you closer to the depth and significance and meat of the content. So this is another thing. I don't know if you know this about sevens, but I think it's true of you from, you know, the conversations we've had previously and, and also, you know, listening to your podcast, reading your books, which is that you're very drawn to the mystical and the contemplative stream. And absolutely. So absolutely. that's very seven. Did you know that? That Oh, is it? Oh, this yeah. Is, yeah. Oh, said another guest on the Typology podcast. Thank you, Ian, <laughs> for this free therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, don't you remember our conversation that over lunch in Laguna Beach that time? I mean, we were talking about the triad, you know, the, yeah. you know, the Trinity being tonal and, you know, a triad and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, you know, Thomas Merton is my great hero. Like whenever I start mm. to feel like, oh, God, I don't know if I can believe this this stuff anymore. I just go read like conjectures of a guilty bystander, you know, or I, I, or something like that. And I go, Oh, right. Maybe this is okay. This stuff, you know? Mm, so wow. tell me a little bit about that with you, because that, that is reflective of the depth. I think of the seven, you know, when they're in a good space, when they're healthy, integrated, thoughtful, self-aware people, they're very in touch with the mystical dimensions of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From an early age, I had a a deep sense of wonder and awe that there's more going on here. Mm -hmm. So the 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 basic sort of reductionist materialism always felt like going from color to black and white. Right. Uh, I was always like, nah, uh, 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 that's there's no, that's that's no fun. Right. And the idea that we're just scratching the surface, the idea that the whole thing is a thin place, was always like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're putting you're putting in language what's already in my bones. So the oceans being only five percent explored, yeah, of course, uh, an expanding universe. Those things always seemed to be affirming what always 
had been going on inside of me. Mm. And the idea that a religious establishment that what that needed, it needed to be run through that filter was always to me like crazy. Mm. Like I, I have seen this and tasted this and heard this and smelled this and danced with this. The idea that somebody somewhere would make value judgments on its legitimacy or not was always like, seriously, come on. Right. Who's that? Who's that guy? Right. What, is that? what does she know about this? <laughs> so I think part of that too is, I mean, I can hear about your sort of allergic reaction to you know, systems that would, you know, in a reductive way, take great truths, right, and systematize or sanitize, you know, you know what I'm saying, like, yeah, somehow or yeah, another, yeah. you know, making simple that which, you know, you, you really can't, right, it can't be done, right. So I can imagine, though, for a seven, that part of the reasoning behind that allergy is you, there's no escape hatches in it. Right. I mean, like sevens yes. need escape hatches. They need options. Right. They don't. The idea yes. of being boxed in would drive a seven crazy. Insane. And there's lots of this interview with you is pure joy. But there's lots of settings where interviews I do not enjoy because there are assumptions built into the questions mm -hmm. about the system or the game that we're playing. Right. And I'm just not playing that game. So I'm not trying to avoid the question. I'm trying to actually give the question what it deserves, which is to pull apart all the assumptions that were built on the question. Because otherwise that question is trapping everybody, and me included. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I very much can relate to that. No escape hatches. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Sevens always have to have uh, a way out you know, a way to the open field of possibility, you know, into the future, into, so anything, like they don't like to be told what to do. Like, don't tell us. Oh, man. <laughs> and, oh, you, oh, this. <laughs> yeah, that's me. That yeah. is me. Oh, well, listen, Oof. you know. I, I literally the other day surfing. A guy, Can you just repeat that? Just, because I think everyone just needs to know that. How often do you surf, Ron? Uh, how many days in the week are there? Uh, um, I surf as much as I, I'm in the water as much as I can. Yeah. Okay. And a guy, we had a disagreement over a something that happened on a particular wave. And this guy like gave me some harsh words and I paddled after, this is not my nature. I literally paddled after him saying, are you telling me what to do? <laughs> that is the weirdest, like, just, I don't even know how to explain this, but in surf world, you see stuff in the water all the time, people having, like, yell, I mean, it can get a little gnarly, but I have never seen a surfer paddling after another surfer going, are you telling, me? like, that was my offense. Yeah. That this guy was, like, trying. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is so classic seven. Like, if you tell my son, you know, you have to do this, what that means is I'm limiting possibilities. Absolutely. Know? And if Absolutely. I do that, it's like panic sets in, right? Absolutely. You know, the um, leads, one of my favorite bands growing up was the Violent Femmes. Oh, my gosh, and great band. I had dinner with him one time, by the way, which was, we'll have to talk about at some point. But he wrote an article about marriage in the early 90s for, I think it was Details Magazine, in which he described marriage as a death. Mm. And he described it in terms of um, burial and an open tomb and that we love options and possibilities and that marriage is dying to every other possibility but this one person. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that actually helped me with exactly what you're talking about. Way before I discovered Enneagram, I, I had a, an awareness, oh, you're, this, the future is in this kind of death mm -hmm. because options, options leave you forever hovering and lingering, and it's only in death to all the other options that anything interesting actually happens. Mm. You know, one of the things that, that I really enjoy about you is, <laughs> there's many things, but I would say that one that I really enjoy about you is that you are someone who seems to be perpetually surprised. <laughs> That's the goal. That is the goal, isn't it? Yes. You you sort of have this this spirit of perpetual. A, did you read um, My Bright Abyss, Christian Wyman's book? Um, you know what I read? Uh, I don't know what I read 
It's it's here on my wife's shelf. Oh. My wife hasn't, and I've read pieces of it. I haven't read the whole thing. Yeah, the it's so great. So he talks Amazing. about... Oh my gosh, beautiful writing. But he, he talks about somebody in the book as, as being unable to walk through the backyard without tripping over an epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot like you, you know, whether, so uh, even in the middle of this conversation, this whole conversation, you know, there's all these ahas and that is so, so one of the most beautiful things about sevens is this sort of forever being surprised by even, you know, oh, making connections, seeing patterns, seeing them overlap, watching yeah. them collide and making yeah, yeah, new yeah. things, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, I think that's so absolutely characteristic of you and, and, and of your work. So I want to read you a Merton quote, Mr. Mystic. Are you ready? He says, um, you know this quote probably, to be a saint means to become my true self. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is in fact the problem of finding out who I truly am and of discovering my true self, my essence or core. <laughs> right? That's Merton. Man. Uh, I mean, does that, I, mean I know. See, you're having an epiphany. I made you walk in the backyard. You're having an epiphany. It's fantastic. Absolutely. To be a saint means to become my true self. So we talk a lot uh, on the podcast about becoming our true self. Like what, what's that journey been like? What's it like for you right now? Like what's the, is that language resonant with you? And absolutely. Tell me a little bit about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I would say that is exactly how it feels to me is that the I, I picture it almost like there is this center and then there are all these things that attach to it that aren't center. And the center, you're discovering your true self. And so the center is just expanding and these things that were attached to it can't stick anymore. And so they're mm -hmm. like falling off as the whole thing becomes center. So it just year by year by year by year. And even... Some of the things I'm wrestling with right now, even today and yesterday with, with a friend and with Kristen and some next things I'm going to do with my work, this is exactly the kind of language that we have been using is, oh, there's another layer here that's being left behind because the next phase looks like this. Mm -hmm. um, and we, this is exactly the language. Oh, this, and this is what I'm here to do. And this is in a previous incarnation, in the previous season, ways in which I was entangled with things that weren't true to who I am and what I'm doing here. And now we're going to leave those behind and it's going to get a little tighter, a little more airtight, a little more firm. Um, yes, yeah, exactly how I talk about it. Absolutely. And uh, that quote, that's a good one. And I, and I find this in lots of interactions with people. They've got all this stuff buzzing around, whatever their question is. And I will just say, hold on, what do you want? Who are you? What are you here to do? What's the thing that's been vibrating in there since you were a kid? Okay, so what's that mean? It will always involve some sort of cost and sacrifice. There'll always be obstacles. <laughs> yeah. um, it'll always involve some defining moments when you leap or you stay in what's known and safe and comfortable. It'll probably involve some relationships that don't survive because people like to keep people where they were. Um, but th this is, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I was in uh, Oregon uh, this past weekend, and and uh, I was with a, a friend, and he, he's uh, an outdoorsy guy, and he was talking about upland. He was out doing upland bird shooting, you know, game hunting or whatever, and he took a puppy out with him, a puppy lab. You know, they were just training the dogs, right, how to chase down birds. And this dog had never been out before, and the dog's, spooked up some birds and he shot one and it fell into the water. And he said, this dog, this little puppy looked up at him and he said, in his eyes, he could see the dog saying, this is what I'm for. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it just took off after the bird, right? Like, and so that's, you know, consistent with a question I ask people who are, you know, on this journey toward their true self. And I ask myself a lot too, which is what has always been true of you? What is it about you that has been enduring? What characteristic or feature of you has been enduring regardless of the season of life that you were in, right? So good times, bad times, whatever, this has always been true of you. Like if you had to answer that, what would you say? 
I've always had a sense that there's more going on here. And if you just keep asking questions, you're going to run into the surprise. Mm. And the whole thing is going to go from heavy to light, from 2D to 3D, from are we going to make it to, hey, we're here, we're breathing, check this out. I, I would say that's been all along. Um, there's no way that the last word's been told. There's mm. no way that the story's done. I refuse to accept that this is just what we have to live with. Like a, like a deep-seated, restless, no way am I packing it in now. <laughs> Man, and that not only is it true, but it's really good news for a seven, right? Because that means there's going to be one epiphany after another in the Absolutely. future. Absolutely. And I, I some, at some senses, when I got into my work in my mid-20s and late-20s, and then we had started a church and an institution built, it started to beat that out of me because it became about protecting and preserving an institution, which was a very, very different thing. And it put me into a bad, I had several severe burnouts, depressed, like it, it, it crushed me. And part of this true self was, was coming to terms with actually, I know everything around me is like, this is the role to play. Nope. I'm going to disappoint all of you because there's this thing in here that knows. Mm -hmm. Well, there is. <laughs> and I'm just follow that. I would say that life or whatever that true self is, right, is always talking to us, right? And it's, yes. it's making yes. us restless. Yes. And it's, it sends out summonses. You know what I mean? Like it, like it issues summons. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would actually say between Kristen and I, uh, specifically over the past year, I would say that has been the number one most frequently talked about revelation or epiphany for us has been stop, take a deep breath, listen, because you, you are being told who you are and what's the next thing. Exactly. And I think that soul. And, and that soul, our growing confidence over the past decade, but it feels like it's like been on an angle. And then all of a sudden the angle is like getting really like rocket launcher steep of, uh, it's like a humble confidence of, yeah, this, this is actually how it works. Wow. This, and, and look what just happened. This really is. No, no, seriously, this is really how it works. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Where I do. you just keep going farther into the center of it. Yeah. yeah. You start trusting that. You start trusting that and you become quite dangerous and full of joy. Wow. So my son, I told you, is a seven. And I what's, mean, his, what's his name? Aiden. Aiden, okay. Yeah, which little did I know meant the fiery one in Gaelic. And I, oh, I, nice. He has truly lived into his name. I fear it might have been prophecy on my part. Um, <laughs> but I do. I adore this kid. And I adore him because, you know, as a four, I mean, we have a great complementary relationship because, you know, when I'm in kind of my melancholy space, you know, when I kind of go to my, you know, broody, ruminative kind of like listening to Radiohead creep, you know, uh, or, you know, just kind of like in that zone, you know, he is my joy bomb. You know what I mean? Like he just mm -hmm. arrives in, in my office and he'll say, we need to go to New York City today, you know, and he'll drag me into the city because there's some, you know, exhibition at the MoMA, you know, we got to go see this and we got to go do that. And he just pulls me out of myself. And then what I do for him is when he gets into the dark spaces, you know, uh, where he has to stay, you know, I can, I can help him do that. Now, I'm always trying to find wisdom that I can impart to him, but of course I'm his dad. So, you know, that's, that's, you know, I've only got so much cachet to be able to pull that off. So for you as a seven, however, might be able to give him some wisdom. So how have you learned to stay in the present moment where sevens don't like to live? He needs to know a little bit about that. Most sevens do. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes it takes great pain and loss to get you to the to the present. Right. <laughs> but um, it is learning to spot the lie that the more interesting thing is up ahead in the road. Mm. And some of it may I don't I don't know maybe it only comes with time because then you get up in the road and you're not thinking about the thing that you were thinking about previously. You get up in the road. 
to that thing. And now you're thinking about the thing farther ahead. Yes. So for me, I had to surrender productivity, efficiency, accolades, accomplishments, achievement. Mm -hmm. I had to surrender a whole world of metrics for how I judged my success. Mm -hmm. And I had to, so I had to surrender. Is it okay if no one ever reads your books? Is it okay if no, yep. I I mean, I had to come to terms with, is it okay if you were considered a has-been? Yep. Like I, I had to face, because that engine is more, 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 accomplish, achieve, dun, 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 I'm right. the mic. And I had to, are you okay if no crowds ever come to hear you speak again, mm-hmm. but you are waking up each morning to do work that you find deeply meaningful? Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? Right. For me, it was very directly dealt with the crowds. It was right. all about the crowds. And that took a little while. And then I said some things that the tribe that I came out of didn't like. So it, it sort of furthered it all the more. Um, you might be done. And Kristen and I had an, a recurring joke about selling shoes. Could always go sell shoes. From <laughs> Spinal you, Tap. Remember the end of yeah, Spinal Tap? Right. Yes. So, yes. Size 11. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Wasn't, so, there, wasn't so, there a patron saint of uh, quality footwear? Saint, quality footwear. <laughs> so for Kristen and I, the very real nexus of this exact question was are you willing to give up all that stuff which is what drives the failure to be present right i gotta be out there i gotta do this and just do the thing in front of you that day with joy and and then counterintuitively i became way more productive when that started to kick in right yeah (laughs) strangely enough because you have all this energy that you didn't have before yep so that's what i would talk to him about i would talk to him about a vision for his life, what would get him out of bed in the morning? Hmm. It's like, I could do this today. Right. And whether it sells, you get signed, someone notices, you get hired, that all is secondary to you in this day doing something that makes for a good life. Hmm. That's what I talked about. So let me just change gears real fast and ask you this question. Or let me, I'll start with, a, with another quote, because I want to sort of segue over to your new book and talk about the Bible for a minute. When I was in seminary, I uh, had a, I was in a homiletics class, and I went to New York Theological Seminary, which is this little seminary in Manhattan uh, that, you know, been around for 100 plus years that has been dedicated to training pastors to serve the urban poor. Now, you have to see the irony in this, because as you know, I, by the way, was, was leading a church in Greenwich, Connecticut, which you have visited before, right? So this was, you know, there was a little bit of irony yeah. involved here, right? But yeah. I had this fiery African-American homiletics professor who just said something one day that floored me. He said, the Bible is the story of how God gets back what was always his in the first place. <laughs> Is that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. All right, so what that's would one. what would you have said? You'd have to come from a particular world to even understand that to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you would have to have lived in particular settings to even say that, let alone understand it. Right. That's great. Okay. So anyway, so you what would you have said? Right. That that's his way of sort of summarizing the Bible. How what what. You know, I know I'm putting you on the spot to come up with something like this, but I don't care. Oh, yeah. You know, what you know would what? you say? Um, I have a couple of answers, but one of my answers would be that, that the Bible is about a tribe called Israel, and Israel means struggle. So the Bible maybe should be retitled Welcome to the Struggle. Mm-hmm. And by welcome, a seven, a joyous embrace of welcome to this liberation, to this exodus, to this struggle, to this wrestling, to the questions. Well, to the mystery. Welcome. There's an element of struggle to it, and it's kind of fantastic. Yeah. That's so <laughs> I'd probably good. start there. All right. So listen, next time, we've got to have you back on because we have an infinite number of things, epiphanies, waiting to be had together. Okay? Not even to mention all the epiphanies you and I will have between now and the next time we talk. Yeah, which could be an <laughs> hour from now. Right? I mean, yeah, could, yeah. There's, there's probably 10 waiting between now and, you know, yes, 6 o'clock. I was just trying to throw in proper sevenness there. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I am so really thrilled 
just to have had this time with you and just thank to you explore it's wonderful yeah man just to explore what it's like to see the world through a seven's eyes <laughs> yeah and you are i think uh, richard's i think richard's right i think you're you're one of the most integrated sevens that I've spoken to. And I say that, though, because you've suffered and allowed it. And that is the great thing Absolutely. That, that sevens have to do. If they don't, they end up becoming Absolutely. Peter Pan, right? They just, they never want to grow Absolutely. up. Absolutely. It's all about what you do with the pain. That's interesting, isn't it? I think Richard was the one who, I think, said that uh, spirituality is about what you do with your suffering. Oh, is it? Is it? Well, there you go. Everything you think sounds unique as it comes out your lips, someone said before. Um, that's true for me. For but sure. that's how that's exactly how I'd say it. That's exactly how I'd say it is you have to stop running. Yeah. And you have to let it all catch up with you. And if you do that, then on the other side, some really amazing things are going to happen. But that's the only way it works. You know, interestingly, and I, I think I'm right on this, but I might be wrong, Latin scholars out there. But I believe that the root, the Latin root of the word suffering is to allow. Oh, my word. I'm going to have to get on the Googler after this. I'm pretty that's sure. I think that's fantastic. one of the... Fantastic. Yeah, it's to allow. And, and you know, um, did you see, by the way, the interview between Stephen Colbert and Joe Biden? Um, no, I either read a transcript of it or my, I know my wife saw it and recounted the whole thing for me. Okay. Um, you need to watch it because I think, I think, and I don't like to type from a distance, you know, but I think Colbert is a healthy seven. Yes, I think so too. And I say that because as a young child, he, ha he suffered. Oh my tremendous word. Tremendous loss. When I started to be familiar with his work, I was like, there's no way that guy hasn't suffered. Right. You there's can no feel way it. He's what he's doing. There's there, there's a reason why the guy is so joyful. Yes. Um, and another example would be my favorite band ever is Midnight Oil. Oh my gosh! The, the, oh, the bald guy. What was his name again? I, Peter I, Garrett. Peter Garrett. Oh yeah, I remember them. Those well. guys shaped me, but I always was like Peter Garrett. There's no way Peter Garrett hasn't right been through some stuff. And then last year he released a memoir, and he tells about what he went through, and mm. it's so heartbreaking and astonishing the loss of his parents at a young age and it's like what you and i've seen a thousand times the the people who seem to have be exploding with the most joy there's always they had to go through something oh man yep there's 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 no way around it well you know what i have four percent left on my computer and no power cord so i am going to <laughs> now can you imagine that right, so this is how i'm ending a podcast is is by the way you're about to go to blank uh, We're about the, to go to blank. Yeah, this has been great. Man, much love to you. Hey, much love to you, and I'm gonna be on you to be back on the show. You've got uh -huh. the before you go though, you've got the Bible Belt tour. I'm doing a tour of the Deep South in July, and if your son is in any one of those cities, I'll put him on the guest list and meet him afterwards. Yeah, he's in Providence, Rhode Island, so that's about oh, so it's it's, a little bit north, a little yeah. bit north of uh, south, a little bit north of south. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, but maybe I'll drag him to one in Memphis. I am doing Memphis, Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Doing Knoxville, Tennessee. Yes, I'm I'm doing a tour of the Deep South in July, and I'm really looking forward to it. You're gonna have a blast. Man, yes, I love you. Love you too. This was great. All right. We'll brother. do this again. See you later. Bye-bye. All right. Now, that was insanely fun. I mean, Rob's curiosity, his puckishness, that's a great word, isn't it? We should restore that word to the language. But he is. He's puckish, you know? He's got this effusive energy you know, all of this, like like Rob is one of these people who is perpetually surprised by life. And I love that about him. And it's all these different um, features of his person. They are iconic of a seven, the enthusiast. So let's say you're a seven or you love a seven. Here are some closing thoughts for you. All right. I think we'd all agree it's hard to imagine a world without enthusiasts, these sevens. Like, no one can awaken our childlike wonder to the world quite like they do. But, but here's the hard truth. The underlying motivation for sevens is to pursue happiness, exciting adventures, fascinating ideas, all in service to avoiding psychological and emotional pain. 
But here's like the deal for all of us to know that pain is unavoidable and sevens need to know that more than anybody else. To borrow a phrase from my friend Richard Rohr, you can't get to Easter without going through Good Friday. And, and, and sevens constantly want to skip over Friday to, to get to Easter, right? So on the road to spiritual transformation, sevens have to learn how to embrace the suffering that is inevitable in this life rather than try to outrun it. There's a guy named Michel de Montagna who, who once said, he who fears shall suffer already what he fears. And so in other words, the sevens strategy for avoiding pain actually creates more pain for them. Like, and they're addicts. Remember, their, their, their deadly sin or their passion is gluttony. And what that means is, like an addict, they just have to keep upping the dosage of fascinating ideas and novel experiences and self-generated pleasant feelings to repress the ones that they want to keep outside their conscious awareness. So listen up, Sevens. You are a blast, particularly when you're young. All that energy and fun and optimism but if you succeed at outrunning pain in your life or repressing it, you run the risk of developing a reputation for being emotionally and spiritually shallow because pain is what makes us deep. In a world of tension and breakdown, it is necessary for there to be those who seek to integrate their inner lives, not by avoiding anguish and running away from problems, but by facing them in their naked reality, in their ordinariness. Those are the words of Thomas Merton, and I think he's right. So if you love a seven, help them do that. Help them do it. Help them to stay with their suffering for as long as they need to in order for it to do their work in them of deepening them and making them their best selves. That will be a great service to them. All right, in closing, we've already heard from so many of you who have submitted questions to us, and we love that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to answer some of those in future episodes, I promise. So if you have questions, hit us up at typologypodcast.com and go to the Connect page and fill out the form. And so you know, typology is T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y. It's got no E in it. Also, we're just finding our legs here on Typology, so if you have any suggestions about our format, our future guests, or show topics, we'd love to hear about them. For those of you who are new to the Enneagram and want to get a quick intro to the system so you can better understand what we're talking about every week, you can download a PDF of a chapter from my book called Finding Your Type on the podcast page at typologypodcast.com. And finally, if you like this show, go subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a review. Please leave us a review. It's a great way to help others find out about this show. We'll be back next week. So in the meantime, remember the words of Oscar Wilde, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. See you later. <laughs>